Hey, it's Beth here, episode 434. Okay, Sunday, I'm reading the New York Times, not very interesting, then all of a sudden, modern times, I get to the page. Couples, therapist, heal your own relationship. I'm like, yes, I hate marriage counselors. She says, Tonya Lester, she's a marriage counselor, fabulous at her job. Well, she wants to get a puppy. Her husband doesn't, he likes dogs, but he doesn't want them in the house. They live in New York, they've got two kids and a cat, and he already thinks it's too full. She wants this puppy. Okay, so they have this huge problem. She has, oh my gosh, conflict, annoy, avoidance. And that should not surprise anyone. I'm like, it does surprise me. You're a marriage counselor. That is what you're not supposed to do. And she goes on, she goes, there is such a thing as a healthy conflict. Okay, putting pressure on relationships is the way they deepen and grow. This is what she tells her clients. If you don't share what's going on inside you, you won't be fully known by your partner and you won't have an emotional intimacy that you crave. She doesn't do this in her real life. I knew it. I knew it. I knew none of them ever could. She's honest. She says that she wanted a puppy dog. She didn't dare mention it to her husband. So she got secretive and resentful. Yes. I, would, I guess we went to four marriage counselors. I thought they were lying. They were too glib about how easy it was to be honest. So when she went into her secretive, secretive resentful stage, her husband didn't, didn't even notice. He thought everything was fine. I'm like, oh my God, this is so real. Okay. So then she starts, it gets worse and worse and worse. And she, she wants this puppy dog so badly. Okay. So she decides she's going to have the difficult conversation one year later. I'll tell you what. If I were sitting in front of her and she was looking at me, she would tell me I was doing it wrong. She said she couldn't do it any better. I'm telling you, these people are not better than us. So she said to him at a dinner without the kids, I want to talk to you about something and I know you won't like it. Okay, that's fair. He braced for the bad news. She said, I think we should get a dog. He said, you're kidding, right? knowing perfectly well that they'd had this conversation a thousand times. She said, no. He shook his head. A dog? No. Now, that's crazy. Dogs are expensive, and in New York City, they're impossible. He took a deep breath and ran his hands through his hair, which she knew meant he was aggravated. Then she did the, oh my God, thing we're not supposed to do. Tears sprung out of her eyes. Oh my gosh. And she started cracking up and saying, I want a dog. I don't know why, but I want this dog and I want you to let me have it. So this guy is smart as a whip. He goes, you know what? I think we need marriage counseling. I am riveted, riveted by this story because I know I've been sitting across from people that couldn't do it either. It's impossible to get marriage correct. So what happened was they did go into marriage counseling and the marriage counselor told her what everyone knows, which is the wife to Tanya, she says, Tanya, 
He isn't silencing you. You're silencing yourself. You're creating the distance between you. You need to take emotional risks, open up, and tolerate conflict. You aren't saving the relationship by staying quiet. You're destroying it. As if she hasn't said that to a thousand people and she says that right here. And then she says to the husband, you need to stop arguing. You need to consider her feelings. And so what happened next was they got a puppy dog. What was that all about? $1,200 later, she just gets what she wants. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh my God. They, they called the dog trouble. And he picks up sticks and he loses them in two seconds because he tries to carry the stick and chew it at the same time, which she says she was trying to do in her marriage. She was trying to fix the marriage and live in the marriage at the very same time. She said she needed couples counseling too. When people ask me about the name, I say we thought of it when we saw the mischievous look on his face, but really we chose it because of the healthy sort of trouble getting him created in our marriage. Trouble, it turns out, is just what we needed. I'll tell you what, I read this article four times. She doesn't apologize for all the clients and marriages that she acted glib about. It's not easy. Uh, she was doing marriage counseling for 30 years before she had any problems. And she doesn't own up. She should call up every single one of those people that she had for those 30 years and say, you know what? I made you think it was easy. It's hard. Now I know how hard it is. But no, she doesn't even see that. So then I go to this thing where people are buying these tiny little dolls called Sunny Angels. They're stupid looking. They're plastic. They're weirder looking than the trolls. And they're cheaper. And you get them at a dollar store. And people are buying hundreds of them and going to parks and exchanging them for other little tiny dolls. The only thing that does is make me feel better, better about my troll dolls. Okay? So then, now we've got wedding beautiful wedding gowns that are so crazy and so naked. It's like it's like peekaboo wedding dress and they're all white and it's just crazy and I don't know what people are thinking anymore. Um, don't do it. Get yourself a dress that you want. So here's the big thing that happened. Dame Edna died. Okay went to the obituaries because the only thing I really got out of that section was the marriage counselor who couldn't do it for herself. But she had no, what is the word? I need to buy her a mirror. She never said, I shouldn't have done that to all my clients. I shouldn't have been so glib. She never, in the whole story, because I read it four times I told you, says, mea culpa. I'm sorry. And I swear, my four marriage counselors acted like everything they were asking us to do was so easy. Simple. Anyway, I'm, I'm happy she sort of admitted the problem. But anyway, here's Dame Edna and she, she would call people possums and she was a big hit in Australia and in England. I mean, the queen loved her. 
she's kind of, uh, she, she's a woman, she's a man dressed up as a woman and she's kind of, oh, kind of Oscar Wilde, Salvador Dali, Annie Mame, and Miss Piggy all wrapped up into one, okay? And she started out as Norm Everidge because in Australia, average is called Everidge. So she was this average creature, but she turned it into a huge thing. And she had her quips and she would say things like um, to Michael Bolton, who was on her show, she said, you have nine hits, you had nine hits this year. And she purred at him and she said, on your website. She was kind of oozy, mean a little bit. And she would say things like, I mean that in the most caring way. I really don't think this kind of humor is very funny, but she did say that um, she she took her, she, she had her children, and Miss Humphreys, do you ever have to take your children aside and explain to them why you like Mr. Humphreys, because he's a man, why you like to wear women's clothes? And he said, if I was playing Hamlet, would I have to explain to them why I was acting like I was Danish? which is, you know, not, not a piece of strudel, just a, a country. And anyway, he was married four times and they all were horrible marriages. So I don't really understand this man very well. He had an alcohol problem and he blamed it on Miss Edna. And Miss Ed Edna told, so he's kind of not bipolar, two different personalities. And the dame told him that he squandered all her money and put her in debt. I mean, it's kind of an odd relationship, but there he was. He made a fortune out of this, and it went on and on and on. Everybody loved it. Nobody ever stopped loving it. He's got two boys and two girls from his terrible marriages. And Dame Edna, she, she said that she was married too. So she had this fake marriage to this guy named Norm. And Norm had, he had a problem, it was chronic. His, his prostate, she said, had been hanging on over him for years. And he had two survivors. And one was a son named Kenny, who designed all her gowns, and a less adored son named Bruce, and a despised daughter, the wayward Valmai. She steals things, puts them in her pantyhose, particularly frozen chickens, when she's in the supermarket. Everyone was looking for her fictitious daughter, named Valmy, all over England, all over Australia. And then she had another daughter named Lois. This is Daymedna, you know, the fake woman. Okay, that Lois had been, okay, so abducted by a rogue koala bear in Australia. And she could hardly discuss it. So, I mean, he was kind of clever, really. And though the child was never seen again, to the end of her life, Dame Edna and all of her friends, when they passed by a eucalyptus tree, they would look up. I don't know. Is Dame Edna great? A lot of people loved her. And he's dead at 89. And so is the Dame. I mean, Queen Elizabeth loved her. Maybe the Dame's up there entertaining her right now. I don't know. Okay. So then there's... Okay, it's kind of a not great week. Okay. Ireland has this game that they're bringing back. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a hybrid between lacrosse and baseball. 
and the field is four times as large as a football field. It's, it's, it's like you could land a plane on the field. And what happened is Limerick had a terrible, terrible team and all of a sudden Limerick is winning. And so everyone in the country is all about this um, sport now, which I think is kind of cute. Okay, so then we've got this thing where Joan Baez and Lana Del Rey hooked up, okay? So Lana was friends with, um, with Joan Baez's granddaughter and she wanted her to come on a show and sing Diamonds and Rust. Okay, Lana went crazy, crazy for Joan Baez. And she kept trying to calm her down and she couldn't. And she said to the audience, I have someone coming on stage who is the most generous of spirit singer I know and the most important female singer in the 60s and 70s and we're going to do Diamond and Rust together. Everybody went, yay! Joan's like, calm down. They go after the show to an Afro-Caribbean. I love this about Joan Baez. Caribbean restaurant. They dance the night away, and Joan says, don't you dare sit down till I do, which made Lana Del Rey write this song called Till We Die. Okay. I mean, you should see this picture of Joan Baez. She looks great. And she says, I think the secret, this is what Lana says, I think the secret to real success is to make sure you're always emotionally intact. I learned that from Joan. I recently said to her, I just want you to know that I'm keenly aware that if this lifetime, in this lifetime, or in any other lifetime, if I have no right ever, ever, ever to be standing shoulder to shoulder with you. Joan Brahez looks at her and she says, shut up. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Joan Brahez told her to calm down. Oh my God. That makes me love her even more. Okay, so then, We've got this book that's come out, out called Blanche. And it's a, it's kind of, it's happened before, uh, you know, where we go and we, okay, so like Jane Eyre, they did the Wild Sargasso Sea, which was a, a preclude to Jane Eyre. What happened to his first wife, okay? Mrs. Rock, Mr. Rochester's first wife. Okay, it's it's very hard to do that. So this time we're gonna have Blanche Dubois after she goes into the into the sanitarium, the mental institution, and what happens to her afterwards. Okay, it's a pretty good book. All right. So the thing is, what really happened is that I didn't know this. Okay, Tennessee Williams was, of course, from New Orleans, and he was a gay man, and his father would mock him by calling him Miss Nancy all the time. Cornelius, he was a horrible guy. And his sister, actually, Tennessee Williams' sister, Rose, had erratic behavior, possibly because Cornelius violated her, and she was sent into an institution and lobotomized. Does that not tell you why he wrote everything he wrote? Okay, so then it goes on and it says that all these actresses that ever played Blanche Dubois, the plummiest role in all of show business, and 
Kate Blanchett said it was like climbing Mount Everest and she did it twice and it left marks on her each time. Rosemary Harris did it. She said it was the, only, the loneliest part she ever had to live through. Patricia Clarkson did it and she said it destroys your life when you play that part. You never really recover from it and everybody who's ever played this role knows that. And Margaret, who is very secure and very strong, said she was twisted, shaken, confused, and agitated by playing Blanche. And she lost her grip on reality. Yikes. Okay, so I didn't know that. And then of course, you know, Vivian Lee turned out to have bipolar disorder. And she claimed that playing Blanche Dubois tipped her into madness. And that's funny because I was reading about it. And that is when the worm turned for her. So talking to Claire Bloom, who played the part in London in 1974, Tennessee Williams said that he imagined that Blanche persevered through her time in the asylum and ended up with a flower shop in New Orleans in her feminist beautiful shop with her sister Stella who divorced Stanley and I kind of want to believe that too so oh my gosh I'm not sure Blanche in this book which can waft and flit like a butterfly creature in this book they don't handle it really really well the woman says but she says if you don't know the Blanche Dubois character very well if you're young if you're millennial then this book will appeal to you which I think thank you for giving um, us older gals a little credit for being a little bit smarter okay so Judy Bloom, her movie's coming out are you there God it's me Margaret I have I have no idea how many billions of dollars they have spent marketing this movie. And you know, all the young girls in Hollywood who were raised on all of, you know, Judy Bloom's stories have taken over and they've created great movies. This is going to be the first one and it's going to create quite a bunch of movies. The weird thing is she writes, she writes this little thing in the book review and she says that her brother gave her a copy of Lady Chatterley's Lover right before she left on her honeymoon in 1959. She said the marriage didn't last, but the honeymoon was memorable. Judy Bloom is made of something different. If my brother gave me a copy in 1959 of Lady Chatterley's Lover, I would have spent my whole honeymoon wondering how that could have happened. If I was, you know, delusional how could that happen she takes it as if it's a wonderful thing that that's what makes judy different so then she says that she really likes um a lot of new books a lot of interesting characters but what she doesn't like in literature that's happening now she says i appreciate humor even during the most difficult times but please don't tell me how to feel as soon as I feel like I'm being manipulated, I am done. There have been books that have frustrated me so much that I've thrown them across the room. Thank you, Judy. I feel exactly the same way. Then there's one other little short obituary in the Wall Street Journal, but I think it's interesting. And it's about this woman named Nancy Lieberman. Okay, she was born in 1956. 
Oh my God, she was skiing in Telluride. She lost control, hit a tree, and her neck snapped, okay? Terrible, terrible situation. This woman is a genius. She told her husband, if I don't come out of this with my brain, pull the plug. The only thing she came out of this with was her brain. She took that. She learned how to use her arms through robots. I mean, back years, 1978. By, by 2009, she was back at work, sitting in an adapted desk, doing emails. She had plastic, plastic tools that she taped to her hands. She did everything. And I admire that. And so she said that even though it got worse and worse, the older she got, she barked orders last Thanksgiving. People needed to make sure everything was done to her satisfaction, including placing the plates one inch from the edge of the table, not two. I'm going to do that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Thank you, Nancy. And then she said, this is why I love it. She said, this is what I'm going to, this is what's going to keep me going. She says, and her life was so screwed up by this. I mean, completely. But she kept fighting and fighting. And she says, I thought life is fantastic. And I'm sure glad I'm not missing it. I could either whine, W-H-I-N-E, or drink wine. I'd rather the latter. I love you, Nancy. I'm with you all the way. That's how I feel. You've got two choices. You can wine or drink wine. That's a good sanity thing. That is something I'm gonna, I could, I could just hang my hat on that one and I'm gonna do it. So it wasn't a perfect week for the New York Times, but I just had to tell you those little things. And that Blanche Dubois tormented the actresses who played her makes me feel so much better because she killed me. She broke my heart in a million pieces. And the lighting with the, I mean, she tried so hard to make it all work and it was impossible. So it's just, it's just too much. It's just too much for anybody. And Stanley Kwaski got all the reviews because he was, of course, you know, fantastic. And, but Ilya Kazan, when he was watching the beautiful actress who played, you know, Vivian Lee, who played Blanche, while he was watching her during the whole performance, he realized that Marlon Brando wasn't the same one, that the only same one in the entire story was Blanche Dubois, and I felt that way. I felt like, you know, okay, she made some mistakes and she wasn't perfect, but she wasn't insane. And so that's what I feel. And that all the actresses were tormented playing her just makes me feel better because I thought I was alone. So anyway, not alone. Drink wine, don't wine. And I will be back. Stay sane.